Today, we welcome SpecPack as a Q4 sponsor. With the holiday cycle fast approaching, we never know what the fraudster's next scheme will be. With Spec and their patented no-code orchestration platform, you can be ready for them this season with full coverage and visibility into the entire customer journey with the ability to collect data, deploy in any tech stack, and connect to any solution to answer their attacks, such as calling third-party APIs, building logic and workflows, all with the ability to take action anywhere in the entire customer journey. Visit www.specprotected.com to learn more and schedule a demo to make your holidays a little more jolly. Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Fraud Boxer Podcast. Going back in time a little bit and got somebody on here that I used to work with pretty closely from time to time over at Ticketmaster. I got Heath Taylor. I'm really happy to have you on here because cybersecurity is something that I'm obviously really interested in because there's a lot of crossover and we'll talk about that. But you specifically, you know, like working for Live Nation, your pedigree, working with some of the tools that you work with, um, it's pretty impressive. So I'd like to talk about that. But first of all, I'd like to know the man behind the microphone right now. So could you tell me a little bit about you, how you got into cybersecurity? And we'll just start there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks. And thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I'll start at the, the beginning, right? So in high school, you know, my interests were not even in technology, right? It was sports and sports all day, sports when I wake up, sports at night and all that kind of stuff. My plan was to, you know, play baseball. Uh, that didn't work out, so I, you know, went into the United States Navy, where I looked for the best op, uh, possible job, and that was at the time Radioman. Uh, the you know Radioman function oh. in the Navy consisted of uh, secure communications, cryptography, and things like that, and kind of dipped my toe into you know Had the technology realm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So your time in the Navy, uh, were you on boats or were you um, just on a base or? How did you do yeah, that? I'm I, curious about that. I, I I was on a ship. It's not a boat, right? A okay, boat. Ship. Can, My bad. <laughs> you know, worries. You can you can put a boat on a ship, right? But is there yeah, a, was a line? A, is there an actual line? But when a boat becomes a ship? Yeah, absolutely. Right. If you can put a if you can put the boat on a ship, then that's the ship, right? Okay, and, so yachts are ships then. <laughs> Potentially, yeah, yeah, definitely, okay. definitely, right. definitely. I'm working on one of those. That's my next purchase. Oh, <laughs> invite me if you could. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, keep yeah. going on your on your Navy story because you're yeah. on a ship. Which I, I a lot of people, like my listeners know that I am obsessed with boats and ships. I love being on the water. I just think it's the coolest feeling ever. So could you please elaborate on that for me personally? Yeah, absolutely. So I was part of a amphibious um, assault group. Right, we were. Oh. And the ship was half Navy, half Marines. Um, it was the USS Anchorage LSD thirty six, which has since been since been decommissioned. It was um, you know quite interesting. It's one of the ones with the the well deck uh, and the uh, tailgate drops down, and the LCACs, uh they come in hovercrafts, right? They come in wow. in the back, and then we transport uh, Marines or wherever they they need to go. That's super fascinating and when you would go out to sea would you be out to sea for like a long time yeah we do uh deployments westpac deployments because i was stationed in san diego so uh it was a six month uh, tour 
uh, where we would, uh, you know, go all the way to the Persian Gulf and back and then uh, visit uh, different ports along the way and, you know, do exercises with, you know, our own, you know, battle groups and also uh, do joint efforts with uh, some of our allies. We had um, the Payments Ed Conference just back in August was down in San Diego and it was right, right on the water. Um, at the Hilton there. And I was looking at the boats. Like I, I, during the pandemic, when everything was kind of shut down in LA, I went down to, down to San Diego too. And like, did like the tour where they, they could take the, it's like a two hour tour, not three hours. It's two hour tour where they go yeah, yeah. And, and show you all the boats. But it was really crazy after payment said was cause we had the hurricane here in LA, you're in LA too. Um, and they moved all the boats out. And I missed it by like one day when they were moving all the boats out. I could have been like, my room looked out over like where all like they're all parked side by side. And I would have been so cool. I would have lost my mind seeing all the boats go out. Like, so, yeah. So thank you for your service. Um, yeah. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. And you, and so being a radio man, learning all these, because the, the traffic I'm sure is encrypted. So that's what you're talking about with cryptography and everything. So talk a little bit about how, like after the Navy, and how like you kind of got interested into cybersecurity and using and, and applied that knowledge because I know a lot of people do like a lot of military folks are the folks in cybersecurity especially the ones that are starting the companies and things. Yeah, um, appreciate that. Yeah, uh, my my kind of getting into security was a little bit different, right? I guess maybe conventional and conventional. I don't know, but you know my story consists of started doing programming of cell sites, CDMA, um, GSM. Uh, working, you know, as a contractor for Verizon and wireless and you know, things like that. Then got into voice over IP and then into other realms uh, and facets of uh, technology where I was a network administrator, systems administrator, storage administrator. And then at the organization I was at, I saw a need and a, and a void, right, for the security function didn't exist, you know, at that time for that organization. So, you know, I kind of started doing more work and then you know, lobbied to the business to have me do that on a full-time basis. And I was successful, right? And became the enterprise security officer for that organization. We we made a lot of good progress and eliminated a lot of tech debt, you know, that was out there. Uh, after that, I, I progressed into and, and wanted to make a little bit of a change and kind of understand a little different technologies that were out there. So I went to University of California, Irvine, you know, where I ran multiple facets of their uh, security program uh, from there. And that, that was a one year stint, right? And yeah. from there I went to, was recruited by and went to uh, Live Nation where I became the director and then became senior director of payment security and governance. So heavy focus on in ownership with my team. Uh, with you know security just for the payment space. Um, from there, I yeah. was recruited by subsidiary Ticketmaster, where I became the global um, head of information security. And you know, I was the first hire of one for the subsidiary, and then built the team up from there. Security engineering, application security, heavy on on that uh, security architecture, incident response, threat hunting, and. Yeah, we we did a lot of stuff with um, yeah with the uh, what we what we had. I think that um you know for any of the listeners here, like they hear like the Live Nation and, and the Ticketmaster, and they might have like triggers, which is fine. But I want everybody to understand, like I worked at that organization for almost five years, and there is a lot that goes into this organization. Like there, there are so many different companies and acquisitions over the years that 
we have to work within the confines of the limitations of each of those companies and their own system limitations that we've stitched together. And then we have the parent, obviously Live Nation, that that owns us and then makes sure that we are trying to do something in a cohesive manner as a, as a business unit. But the technology that 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 we employed and, and the people that we had there were top of their fields. And they yeah, were absolutely. excellent, excellent people doing it every single day. And the challenges that that business, like a lot of people, I think that listen to, like even that do cybersecurity on, on regular websites or do payments or fraud that are listening to this probably are so used to having one website, one payment processor, you know, one one fraud tool, maybe a, a identity verification tool of some kind, and that's their day. You know, so they live and breathe that. They they're used to their website. They're used to ecom. When at Ticketmaster Live Nation, like we have numbers of different products. Not only do we just sell like tickets and things like that, we sell experiences. We have venues. Yeah. We have like pre purchases for for physical goods on VIP packages, and these are all on different systems doing different things. And we have to really be delicate with our approach because. Like you could really, you could ruin an entire tour. <laughs> like, could, and then you, yeah. then you hit the news. And that's the thing about an organization of that size. And I think that people need to understand and have some empathy for the size of that organization and what goes into to running a successful team. And I was there and witnessed what you had built and what you had done. And you ran a successful team that didn't meddle, that didn't blow anything up, but kept us safe, kept our system safe, kept the website safe from, from hacks. Do you really like people don't understand that like famous websites get attacked all the time because they're easy targets. Absolutely. Absolutely. They easy targets and, uh, you know, internet facing. Right. So it's, it's, it's out there for the, for the pickings, to be honest. Yeah. And, and to kind of digress a little bit about, you know, your, your statement, uh, how Ticketmaster did it is it, I agree. It's very complex. The avenues of payment channels are vast. The, the technology and the products that are deployed by that organization are many, right. With all the, the acquisitions, like you stated, uh, having, uh, you know, being the, the industry leader in the primary, uh, ticket sales space, as well as, you know, getting into and being successful, you know, on the resale market with the secondary market type, uh, um, you know, product offerings that they have, it, it, it's complex and it's, like you said, vast. I think like when, 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 you know, you mentioned resale and like a lot of people don't like, they just think like, it's just, what, what do you mean? You buy a ticket, you, you list it for resale, somebody buys it, but there's compliance factors that come into that. There's AML because people do try to launder money through things through, through marketplaces. It's pretty common. So you have to be looking at who you're paying out, where they're coming from, where are these things are listed. Is it even legally allowed to be listed there? There is so much compliance that goes in when you launch a marketplace. It's not something that you can just spin up overnight, you know? And, same thing, like whenever we're we're launching new products, like even at my company now, like we have to have these considerations of what are people really gonna do with it? Because we want them to just transact on it, but that's probably not all they're gonna do. They're gonna like poke at it, they're gonna prod at it. And if they find something, they're gonna slam it every single day. Yeah. So that being said, let's talk more about cybersecurity. So to you, what does what does it mean to you? And what does it mean to organizations and how should organizations be thinking about it? Not from a technology standpoint necessarily, but from like a conceptual standpoint, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So my philosophy is you, you need to identify and realize what is the organization you work for? What is their mission? 
where most organizations are not security firms and their focus is not just on security. With the times that we live in, right, the leader within the space, within the job, the role of the CISO or, or the leader of the information security team needs to identify what the business wants to do, what the mission is, and then wrap around and insert at the onset security. That way you can facilitate the successful execution of what that mission is. Facilitate and say it's ticket sales or say it's um, e-commerce site, like at your new organization where you're selling, you know, product or whatever it may be. Facilitate that in a secure manner so it cannot be exploited, compromised, or, you know, things like that. In the event that you do get compromised, be quick to respond, quick to identify, quick to eradicate, and quick to recover. I think so many people, when they, especially people that aren't in, in the cybersecurity industry, like when they're on the outside looking in, and I've been guilty of this too, is you have, like, you have to pretty much be like you've prevented everything. Otherwise you're a failure when there is success in those failures, learning from what happened, where the exploit was and how you address it. You know, I think every company, every big company at least has a, um, like a, a guidebook, um, like incident response. And what do you do on these incidents and where, how are you going to frame it? What are you going to do? But also like, what is the, what is like the, uh, looking at what, what happened? What do we call that? Um, when you, well, there's a, the email that comes out afterwards, like the post-op, you know? But yeah, it, yeah, a definitely. It's like, yeah. yeah, and there's a, it's a retrospective. And I'm, I'm a big, big, big supporter of retrospectives, right? Because you, you learn by doing and then identifying what happened and then correcting or continuing with things that happen. Putting it into your run book, like you stated, that way you have a no-brainer model of how to operate a like incident. There's going to be some nuances. Use it as a baseline, but there's going to be some you know, variations in maybe that specific attack or breach or whatever it may be. But those lessons learned will help you identify the correct course of action to be successful in your response. We're doing, um, we have been for a little while, doing our our, our security audit that, you know, most big companies our size do. Uh, Always a fun time of the year for me. Always fun, Uh, always fun. (laughs) But um, we just, part of that this year has been running tabletop exercises with um, the consulting agency that's like our third party that's that's auditing us. And it's been super interesting to sit in these hypothetical scenarios for, you know, a couple hours and be like, okay, this happened. Now, what are we going to do? Then what are we going to do? Okay, so-and-so, who are you going to do now? And like, we're identifying some, some, some gaps that like we yeah. are so thankful that we now know how to happen. I will say that I'm very proud of my team um, for all of our questions. We had it pretty buttoned up. Um, nice. We'll talk about how we run teams here in a minute, <laughs> but, uh, but definitely, you know, like running hypothetical scenarios. Yeah, they are draining, but they are so valuable um, because then when you see an actual incident happen, there is no panic. Like the panic yeah. is removed. It's straight to, right. to solving. And that's the key, right? Um, you know, removing the panic, re- removing the unknown. I mean, there's there's a reason professional sports teams practice for the game, right? Consider, consider the game to be the actual incident as it happens. So why not practice? Get better at what you do. That way you can be proficient and an expert in your field to then have that muscle memory to respond when an actual breach or incident or investigation pops off. So I do want to talk in a little bit um, kind of about the the differences between build versus buy on organizations and their thought processes on that. But first and foremost, I want to kind of go back a little bit um, to 
you said at, at Ticketmaster um, when you went from Live Nation to Ticketmaster, which is it sounds weird, everybody, but that's what we do is we trade talent between the, the divisions. That's just how it works out. All of our paychecks come from Live Nation at the end of the day, but it depends on the division you work for. But you built out a team. And can you kind of walk me through like how you build out teams, what your structure is, what your philosophy is as a manager? Like I, as a, as a large people leader for large teams at multiple organizations, enjoy being a people leader. Of course, there are those moments. But for the most part, at the end of the day, I like being a people leader. And I, I'm proud of the people leader that I am today. So if you could tell me a little bit about yours, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. So building a team, I... I... I have multiple views on it, right? And they kind of make sense and it comes together at the end. Um, there is the identification of where your gaps are, where you need, you know, talented folks and smart folks um, more than me, right? In that position to be that SME and execute. Then there's also the aspect of identifying talent that yes. maybe doesn't, I, doesn't fit for a specific role, but morphing that role to that talent as they can be beneficial to your program. So it's kind of a common combination, right, of that too. They're, like I, I don't want to be so rigid in what I want to hire that I miss out on brilliant people who then I could leverage them, use them, tap on their into their knowledge and their expertise and maybe their charisma or whatever it is to facilitate that exact same growth and execution and, and team building that, that I need. I think that that's an excellent way to look at it because I think uh, recruiting right now, especially right now in like, they always say the economy, but how the job market is for, with all the layoffs that we had at the beginning of the year, the end of last year, um, and then the can the pool of candidates that's out there. I feel like organizations are trying to find somebody that checks every single box instead of identifying the boxes that are most important and the ones that can be developed. And I think there goes, it's a, it's a lot to be said to hire someone that might be a little bit green that you, but has the potential to, to be that person that you want to be. And I like the, the cliche is like someone that's hungry, but if you have someone that has like a core piece of knowledge that you really know, but maybe not the soft skills, well, soft skills can be developed pretty easily. You know, the, the core piece of knowledge might be the harder, the harder thing to find. And I think that like finding someone like I did the episode with, with Adian about culture, and it's such a funny, weird thing to say in this modern age, because every tech startup company Bay Area says culture, 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 we need a cultural fit. But there is a lot to be said about having someone that fits in with the culture of your team. Because if you have someone, if you have 10 people, and then you know, nine of them are like a perfect cultural fit. And I'm not saying like party culture or any of that, but I'm saying that you get the sure. idea of the company, they understand the goals of the company, they understand the goals of the team and they're a team player. But you have one person that's kind of like the wild card that it causes disruption. Like it can throw off the dynamics of the entire team, the performance of the team and all of that. And that's one thing that like if strong leaders know how to kind of put guide rails around those those sorts of folks, those disruptive folks to try and get them to focus. But at the end of the day, sometimes the, the, the option is to coach them out. But finding someone that fits into that group is more important than finding some of the the trainable skills. If that does that make sense? Yeah, yeah it does. It does. Yeah. The trainable skills for sure. Also, you know, having somebody that I I, I always like to hire somebody that's that's communicative. Right? Yes. And it can be to different degrees or whatever it can be. But 
having a simple conversation with somebody, but being present also with, with that skill to be present in the moment is key to success of that individual within the organization and on my team. Especially um, doing incident responses and stuff like you needs to be clear what's happening now. Mm -hmm. What are you seeing now? And what are we doing now? You know, those yeah. sorts of things. Also, matter. also what we're doing next. Right. That, that's a or, good point. Yeah. Yeah. Showing showing the, the roadmap of what we're trying to achieve. Having somebody who works in a vacuum and is only a gate, you know, within the team to the business. It's, it's not beneficial. But also not being so bending to the business's wishes because you know ideally having the business's needs in mind in a secure manner is key but circling back clear communication and the execution of that communication will then hopefully show the business the need for implementation or recovery whatever it may be yeah and one of the things that's that's, that's true too is like you know i think about this a lot in in my field in your field, it's, 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 it's pretty prevalent too, is like, there's not like, there is a lot of us, but there's not a lot of us at the same time. So you, you really have to understand like what your, your market that you're pulling from, like, like lawyers is a great example, like where you can kind of drop a lawyer in at a company anywhere because the law is the law is the law is the law, you know, as long as they know like that type of law, the law, and like, let's say it's like criminal law in California, like, well, shouldn't have stole that. Let's see what we can do about that. But with cybersecurity and the same thing with fraud and payments is there is rails, but each business is completely different on, on what, how they work, what the tools look like, what the backend is, how it functions. So taking someone that has core knowledge and dropping them in, they're still going to have to learn like it's like it's their first day on the job, you know? Like there's there's yeah. a certain amount of I know how to run this tool. That's great. Do you know how to run this tool? at this company because we don't have it here. We don't have it here. We have it here. You know, there's a lot that goes into that too. Yeah. So not just communication, like we talked about a minute ago, but also that analytical mindset to look at what, like you said, the guardrails are the standards, the requirements from authoritative, you know, folks or agencies out regulators, whatever it may be taking that, having the analytical mindset to then apply that to your new organization or your existing organization or new products within your organization to then make yep. it make sense. It's all about translation. The how, how many times have you heard, say it's whatever, a, a SOC 2 or a PCI audit, whatever it may be, and then the business states, I don't know what that means to me. So yeah. being facilitators of translation of security is also, so that's analytical and that's that communicative aspect of the job that are that are uh, valuable one of the feedback pieces that i get personally which i like is that i am able to take fraud problems and communicate them to non-fraud people in a way that that lets them understand and that i think obviously is going to apply to security people because security is scary it is like cybersecurity now like we see the news all the time so some cybersecurity something and cybersecurity is scary and being able to communicate gaps to senior leadership that has doesn't have a security mindset mm -hmm. is extremely valuable. And not only yeah. like so when I when I try to do it's like critical. my things, it's critical. Yeah. And like I think even like with my team and then how I try to train my people too is like and, and I I did this a lot more at Ticketmaster because like my team was a lot larger there and we had we had bigger problems. <laughs> 
but um, is, is identify the problem and suggest a solution. So I would have them basically do like the post email, like this is what we happened. This is what we lost. And this is what I recommend we do. And it was super helpful. And then I could like either a lot of times what I would do um, is I would, because I'm a big fan of like showing off my people is if they would send me an email like that, a lot of, of not so strong leaders rewrite that and then send it to their leadership and act like they did it. Mm-hmm. I would just forward those emails with maybe some thoughts yeah. on my own and Absolutely. say, this is what happened. Take a look below for more detail. And then they get their time to shine. They're learning and they're offering suggestions. And then I'm learning because like, look, the way that I always do things, the way that I've always done things might not be the best. Like I'm open to suggestions. Yeah. Being a good leader to me, right. Has two, two, two um, critical aspects. You know, the number one being um, understanding and communicating with the business and creating stat- strategy around the business mission. The second one, most you know, equally important is the team. That means team growth, investing in the team, letting the team have their opportunity to directly communicate. I'm not a gate. I'm not an avenue. I'm here to support you to Servant do leadership. your job. Yeah, yeah. I, I, absolutely. I'd like to be, you know, not on the wagon riding, but in front helping pull. You know, you've seen that meme, yeah. you know, here and there, but the the visualization of that concept is is excellent. Um, I, I, I like to help and I like to, and that's not just, and that's not at all, I should say, of me, like you said, rebranding somebody else's work and sending it off. Yeah, that's, and I think it's especially showing like momentum and showing like career progress is, is an excellent thing. You know, sometimes like I would love to promote everybody. I always would. I'd love to give everybody a million dollars a year. I always would. But there are certain confines that we have to work at. Like, is there a position available? Does the company let us have a position available? Like I ask. I as I ask is the only thing I'm ever gonna say is no, you know. But like I've been I've always been pretty good at promoting people from from within as much as I possibly can, unless there is like an absolute gap. Like there is like there is no way that like anybody would knows any of that piece. And I would love to put them in there, but at the same time, I have I have reassigned people from like my chargeback team to the fraud team because they want, they want to go that avenue, you know? And the same sure. thing, like I've, I've had people leave my, my teams um, to go to other teams. Uh, and sometimes they come back by the way, because yeah. uh, Jordan, the boomerang is a <laughs> yeah, Jordan is a good boss. I've had, I had one at live nation that quit my team to go to finance and then came back a year later. And then I had a guy here at iHerb um, quit. And then the very first day at his new job called me and to come back. And now it's like oh, a running geez. joke. Every time like he, he calls with anything, I'm like, are you quitting again, bro? <laughs> but, mm-hmm. you know, but like people realize like it's, it's, it, I've had bad managers. I've had good managers. I've had managers in between, you know, that I still respected. And it is a difference when, when you can see someone's investing in your career. And it's not my job as a leader in this space to, stop your progress even if that progress isn't with me like is if you do it the right way if you want to go to a different team if you want to go to a different company if you do it the right way and you're respectful about it i will high five you i will recommend you i will give you everything you want and i might even leave the door open for you if you need to come back so yeah that's me yeah no i agree with you i mean like you you hit the nail on the head when you stated even if it's not with you right their progression in their career I, i will put in a good word as long as you know they're performing you know person um but 
even if it's not with me, I'll help them get whatever they want to do for, you know, for their career. That goes a long way with individuals. I mean, it would go a long way with me. So why, why not with the people who work for me? Yeah. Um, and if it's it, so cool, take, like to see people like that, that have, like I've left and they've started to embrace those leadership roles too. Like they start to like embrace that and then see where they go next, you know, and yeah. like they're leading a team now. Like it's fun. <laughs> yeah. It, it's always fun too, to see somebody, you know, progress to your level or, or, you know, further. Right. It, it's awesome. Me, yeah. Yeah, like they they got the VP title, and I'm still sitting here on my senior director title. Hey, you know, yeah, maybe, proud of them. Maybe, yeah, maybe when they progress somewhere else, they'll take me with them. Yeah, right? that's what they gave. They don't don't forget don't forget about me if you got an opening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not exactly. now, everybody. I'm very happy at iHerb. I want everybody. To no, know yeah, yeah. I I don't mean that by any means. I don't mean that by any means. Um, so let's talk a little bit. There's a couple of things that we can go. We'll we'll kind of get back into the cybersecurity thing here, but I think one of the things that we touched on is speaking. Like we talked about communication. Um, and and having people that are good communicators. And then we talked about teaching and, and how we would communicate stuff to it. And I think one of the big things is speaking security language to a non-security person. So can you kind of maybe elaborate a little bit on that about how you approach that um, at organizations that you've worked at um, and how, how that's gone and tips and tricks? Yeah, um, identifying the problem, telling you what the issue is, say it's a vulnerability or whatever it may be. You got to do that, right? But yeah. breaking that and mapping it to why it's bad for the business in a threat model type, you know, um, activity is, is important. You know, the business understands of how it impacts, say, revenue, business operations, and reputational risk. So mapping what the issue is to what the result potentially could be, or the result is. That, that's how you motivate, that's how you tell the story, and that's how you articulate, you know, it is. But keeping it simple, less acronyms as well, more oh, yeah. to, you know, clear clear speech, um, and not focusing and getting too deep on the tech for non-techy people, but kind of digressing a little bit to why it matters to them. That's the focus. That's what they want to see. That's what they want you to feed them. I think a lot of the stuff, like, on the fraud side of the business, when we when we talk about problems, we try to affix dollars to it to try and be like, yeah. this is this is like the I call it exposure. This is our exposure. Doesn't mean it's a loss yet, but it's what the potential loss could be. Should we not take any action? And it's going to grow. You know, I think that, that is that that kind of yeah. helps, especially like with my senior leadership. Like it's it's all about dollars. So if I can put things into dollars, that matters the most. And then granted, there's quite a bit, especially at my company, there's quite a bit of like user experience um, considerations. Like, are we going to disrupt getting people through the purchase funnel? Are we going to have a bad experience? Are we going to get bad app reviews? Those sorts of things. So it's dollars. And I promise, I promise I can save all these dollars and not blow up the user experience. And then usually I get uh, positive uh, feedback there. Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly what I'm, I'm you know, articulating is, and why does it matter to them? What matters? And, and that's key. Identifying what matters to them. That's a good and like, point. And like you said, monetary um, items, it's important. It's yeah, because um, it's not like, look, it's most businesses care about money. Not all, but most do. Most, so yeah. if you can start with that, but I think it is, and even more on the communication piece, like I have pretty good dialogue with my senior leaders. Like, even my CEO of my company, like he'll ask me questions and I'll answer him. And I try to not sugarcoat it. I try to not like be pretty about it. Like if something breaks, I'm like, this broke, this is what happened. And this is what I'm doing about it. But 
knowing what matters because some organizations like like my my company is a great example is like we have like our ceo obviously cares about the business and that's what he's supposed to do that's his literal job and then we have a founder too that's still very involved in the business but he cares about the users because that's how he it's his baby you know like he yeah, built this yeah. business caring about how his customers feel about his business so when i interact with those two you know there's a very different like with when I talk to the founder, it's very this is this is about how I'm keeping the business yeah. safe and know your audience. You know? Know, your <laughs> yeah. audience. Know, your know your audience. Know your audience. This, right? this episode is full of great little one line nuggets. I love yeah, it. I know. I know. Hey, I'm, we, <laughs> we should make some t shirts. I'm just saying. We should. So I think that like you know coming out of of communicating these things and why people should care. When you are doing these evaluations and you're and you're coming up with these things that people like these organizations need to be caring about, I bet you you've seen a, a bunch of stuff that like normal organizations normally fall short on. Could you kind of run me through some of the basics that you think that that average organizations are typically falling short on their security posture? Yeah, I mean the basics in in some instances, right? Being specifically around um, a lack of or a not a complete picture or catalog of inventory and that goes from products to software to instances uh, environment type or whatever it may be it's common it's common out there so it creates a difficulty and creates a very manual process of identification uh, within the cybersecurity team to then facilitate identification of inventory because you can't protect yeah. what you don't know Right. So that's where you start. That's the fundamental aspect that organizations I've seen they need to get better at. Some are very mature in the space. Some are not. Interesting. I will say that um, I still have laptops from previous companies, multiple companies. Yeah. Um, and not all of them have barcodes on them. So I don't even think they know I still have them. <laughs> yeah. So, or they don't care or they don't care. But um, so that, that's the type of mentality that needs to change. Um, inventory, even if it's an asset, there's monetary value attached to that asset too. It, it, even if you're going to recycle or whatever that is, but the the focus should be the decommissioning um, and deprovisioning, you know, of that device as it gets back. Uh, yeah, inventory is key. I think uh, you also mentioned earlier in the conversation, you know, tech debt too. It seems yes. like you know a lot of um, a lot of things get identified. And then it ends up in a Jira ticket and then just goes to Jira ticket hell, you know, at the end of the day. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it, it, the tech that is critical and key. I mean, the years and years and years, the focus hasn't been on security within our organization. But we're starting to see, you know, that that shift, the mind shift there, where SEC is putting no, new regulations and requirements with tech filings for public companies, you know, out there starting in December. Um, those companies that didn't have a previous security orgs are starting to build them up. Yeah. Uh, with those type of organizations, there's that tech debt. There's that, say, uh, sunsetted or non-supporting operating systems. There's a lack of application security uh, within the uh, secure de uh, development lifecycle, the software development lifecycle, um, a lack or an immaturity of that uh, chain supply uh, out there uh, where companies aren't, you know, using different, different methodologies. Maybe it's salsa, you know, for their deployments into production and, you know, build and all that kind of stuff through their CI CD pipelines. 
a lot of organizations like you know just trying to say a lot of organizations don't do that and there's that debt that you need to kind of go through but it's not tackling they're not that those issues are not all the same so it's also the added aspect of evaluating the risk and prioritizing remediation or or a business initiatives to facilitate you know the mission of the business excellent point so one last little section here i think i just want to talk about and we don't have to talk about it super long um because it is probably sure. something that just gets blasted into the ground build versus buy baby yeah <laughs> I am a um, I'm a big fan of buy because um, in especially in the cybersecurity world and in the fraud world, um, my company we're an e-commerce company. We're not a cybersecurity company, so mm-hmm. I would prefer personally to plug in a company that only like that's what they do. <laughs> that's all they right. do is build cybersecurity products. So, what are your opinions on build versus buy? If you could, yeah, that's a great question. I've been asked this a lot lately. I'm yeah, I'm a fan of both, right? Yeah. My my preferences on buy, being that I I understand there's some aspects that you need to build the the you know interconnected, uh, maybe some Python programming for some automation or or whatever. Yeah. I, I do I basic that. rules like we have yeah. like super fundamental business rules that go in that that everything like has to apply to like you know the robots three laws type situation. But as far as like the the nuances of this like behavioral biometrics, all of that, like device ID, that's a big thing that people try to try to build on them, themselves or like ATO yeah. prevention tools. Like, give me that yeah, technology, I, baby. <laughs> with, with that type of, with that type of stuff, with the impact that it has on the business, I'm absolutely a fan of and an advocate of buy. Being that I am leveraging the services of somebody who is an expert in the field and they delivered a product that is above and beyond what my internal capabilities to build would be in the realm that I, that's not my full-time job, right. To build yeah. stuff. Also, you need to be aware of tool rash- rationalization. Don't buy too much stuff. Look <laughs> at things that can do to, you know, multiple aspects of yeah. what you're trying to achieve. But like you said, with ATO, um, you know, there's organizations out there that do it extremely well. One that comes to top of mind is human security. They yeah. are amazing, amazing in the abuse space. And where I really like, you know, them is is not only that, but the threat intelligence team, their Satori team, they're exceptional. So yeah, all other aspects we use them. Too. Yeah, we use awesome. them and we toss awesome. them like just random obscure stuff all the time, and they always find something. And always if they deliver. don't, like they have a nice detailed explanation of why. Like we just used them recently on on a thing that I was working on on a fraud pattern that we we identified, but I wanted to know I wanted to triage it a little deeper, so we just sent them the stuff, and they sent an excellent explanation of why it was human behavior versus like hybrid versus bot behavior. And it was it was superb. Like I mean, I'm I'm not trying to sell human here. Yeah, sorry, Frank, <laughs> but uh, but it's just it's been a, a very useful product for us. Yeah, um, I, I can imagine. I can only imagine. Yeah, other things like when the in the vulnerability management space, there's other organizations like Armor Code or or whatever it may be that do what they do exceptionally well. They help with the you know application security in you know the most effective manner. But there's there's thousands, no, I wouldn't say thousands, there are hundreds of organizations out there that will provide tre- tremendous value to your organization. 
I mean, you were at RSA this year. Like you saw how that, that showroom floor was massive. <laughs> it was, it was, it was massive. I had a lot of great conversations. Unfortunately, I was only there for a day. I flew in the morning and in the morning. Oh, so right at nighttime. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Cause I saw you at that game. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, um, I didn't actually get to long-term. I only got to walk the showroom floor on one of the evenings when it was like, everybody was pouring beer out of the kegs and their booths. Uh, it was actually the night that we went to the game, to the mm. Giants game, uh, because I was I was speaking on synthetic identities over at what they call the EFG, um, which is was down the street. It wasn't in the damn building, so like oh. it was like up the street. So I and we because we were speaking, we were required to be there the whole day to to make sure that people could ask us questions and things like sure. that. So yeah. I lost my whole day, and then then we had to go to the Giants game, but. Well, this has been an excellent and interesting conversation. I am having a ton of fun on this. Just, I love talking about management. I love talking about security. I love talking about organizations. Uh, so I think it is time for us to wrap up a little bit here. Normally, I have uh, everybody mention their top three trends. Uh, I think for this one, because there's so many interesting things, we might go a little bit over. Uh, I am going to kind of start and lead you into one if we could, and then we'll just do your top three. So then it'll actually, you know, technically, it'll be your three and my one if we could. But okay, cool. for me... Um, a, a big challenge in any sort of, of market situation like mine, where there are discounts involved, fake accounts and fake account generation. That's something that, um, you know, we are in a constant battle of trying to get people in, into their own, uh, stay in their own account and, and do their own thing. So thoughts about that. Yeah, I, it's a huge issue, huge issue uh, with the fake accounts. I mean, creating and identifying if people are real humans. That's the critical and key. Um, I mean, there's there's the whole, I would say, avenue or the, I don't I don't know the right term, but the oh the real the whole marketplace for you know the reselling of yeah. these accounts and it's huge and it's 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 detrimental to businesses, but more importantly, it's detrimental to fans as you know these accounts um, scoop up tickets or product or, you know, wherever and maybe I know, you know, some other organizations as they would drop sneakers, they, yep. they have these issues uh, there as well. Um, there's also the aspect uh, which is extremely troubling and, you know, needs to be addressed is the whole ATO aspect with the account takeover. Uh, it, it, there's the goes back to the whole market for the monetizing of these accounts. It's huge. It, it's very profitable, you know, for yeah. these, uh, these, these, people who are taking advantage and, and creating fake accounts as well as taking over accounts. Yeah. The, um, I always like tell people like, you have to understand the value of what people can get from having an account on your site and whether that be their own or someone else's account, like, sure. like, you know, at Ticketmaster, like it was what, it wasn't necessarily the stored credential. It was what was stored on the account. Was it Taylor Swift tickets? Was it Beyonce tickets? If they can get that access to that account, then they can have those tickets, you know, for fake accounts, you know, like a, a lot of stuff I see happen is, is, is most of mostly companies that have like rewards programs uh, where they can like churn. So they buy and then they return or they buy to get the rewards and then they exit them out and then they return. Uh, you'll see uh, a lot of ATO stuff in the travel industry, you know, um, loyalty points on uh, hotels right. and, and airlines and stuff. But, you know, those companies can, can usually make good on their people. But at the end of the day, like, I think one of the things that, that we need to always, like remind people is if your account is ATO'd, you're not look you're you're blaming the website. You're not look look worrying about where those credentials came from, where they actually came from. But if you're if you log into your Hilton and all their points are gone, like you're blaming Hilton for quote weak security. 
And then you don't want to be on the news for having quote weak security when their list was compromised from some other website and it just happened you shared your password, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So having a program in place that, that looks at across different different platforms of compromised accounts on different platforms and so then reconciling it to with your cyber team, your abuse team and your fraud team, working in partnership to then working with the client, working with the customer to then communicate maybe maybe it's a good time to change your password right yeah. because of identification of this this and this or, or, or across the landscape i think that you know what so it, it's interesting because for so long we've been told to tell i'm just going to completely go off to the side here we've been for so long told to not cause friction especially on u.s consumers and just let them in let them buy let them go and that was one of the big things why we don't use 3D Secure in like any meaningful manner really in the US when it's mandated almost everywhere else. But you're starting to see, and uh, when I was talking, when I did my, my past keys episode, we kind of talked about it, but it, what we call expected friction. And the US consumer is finally training and learning and expecting friction in certain places, like logging into their bank account on a new computer. They expect now to get that text message that says, yeah, is, is this really you? Can you put it in? You want a public computer? But I am seeing in, in respect to the password thing, more notifications that, hey, this password is a weak password, has been seen other places, you know, more notification that my shit's compromised. Now, normally the sites that like I use weak passwords on are like cheese dick sites that I don't care about, you know, like I just want to like log into my sports thing to get the score. Sure. And they won't let me make a make an individual list of teams I care about unless I do. Unless, I really it's, your fantasy, unless, it's, unless your fantasy football team, right? I 2FA that, but my fantasy team's so yeah. blown up already this year that uh, wow. I mean, hey, I got Julio Jones though. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, it, what we all need to do is be advocates, right? To to the fan, to the client, to the user, the typical you know user. Um, focus on security. So it's communication, it's security awareness, it's identifying in facilitating secure application to what they have. Not putting too much friction on, but putting enough on where they're secure and we, we protect them. We have their their uh, risk in mind. Um, that could be you know moving away to from a simple MFA you know, type uh, application into more of, say, with your account, do device binding. Say you have an iPhone yeah. or an Android or whatever it may be. Have that being binded to your identity. There's, there, I've been exploring this, you know, a, a lot lately. There's a lot of organizations that do it extremely well. That's and that problem. may be, yeah. And, and that may be, should be actually, I should say, the one of the next hot topics out there uh, of investment within uh, the cybersecurity space. 100%. I think passkey type binding is an, an identity binding too, is like identity binding. Yeah, identity binding. I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. It, another thing that we talked about on that last passkeys one, if people want to go back and check that out too, is we kind of talk about like having starting. So it's harder to transition people from a password to a passkey than it is to just start with the damn passkey. Yeah, so anybody that's making a new exactly website, right. just start yeah. with passkeys. <laughs> All right, let's rattle off two more uh, if we could, and then uh, I'll let you have your day back, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, and thank you again for having me on. Uh, my next one that kind of comes to the forefront of my mind is attacks on the supply chain. I mean, having vulnerabilities in third-party software, it, that's it's huge. an issue, right? It's huge. I mean, we've had, you know, previously years ago, the whole mage cart um, issue. Right, that multiple yeah. organizations had on their you know payment pages, 
where having that third-party software attacks like um, maybe it's Inventa or whatever it may be, it's in the news, so it's not you know confidential. <laughs> but you know, having having that out there, it, it, it's huge. That whole supply chain, where having governance around it and identifying any vulnerabilities and just keeping your finger on the pulse there is, is critical and key. There's a lot of things that you can put in place. Um, like if you're pushing code or having the third party push code to using uh, salsa uh, methodology for identification and implementation is, is you know where you need to go. Um, aligning that to the NIST uh, framework for the supply chain uh, governance and, and um, standards is, is key. Um, yeah. I would I say that changed uh, <laughs> that changed a lot of how we did iframes and tag managing that 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 particular incident. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and it it was hit. A lot of organizations out there in the in the wild, you know, were hit with the whole mage card issue. So, it's a uh, not singular uh, organizational focus, but um, yeah. So, it's it's huge. I mean, we're looking at um, I think something like over four hundred percent increase in supply chain attacks uh, yeah. as of you know a couple of years ago. I don't know what the current numbers are now, but I'm sure they're more. You know, and they're, they're greater. You know, especially like logistics companies and things like that, they typically run more legacy systems. And if you, let's say, ransomware, like uh, an entire shipping company's <laughs> entire computer system, like they're dead in the water. And then that all the way affects all the way down from, from the ports, from the trucks, all the way down to your local Walmart. There ain't no more getting no Christmas uh, tree any, anymore, you know? Yeah, exactly. I'd say the third one is probably still as we're seeing today is ransomware uh targeted ransomware you know spear phishing you know, whatever it, it is and a lot of people are still falling right for it and yeah. um I'm, I'm not you know discrediting their approach they're you know the the attackers are becoming more and more sophisticated and more and more you know adept to uh what you know they're we're trying to circumvent here um, there's also the aspect of attackers having, you know, the ability to do XDR and EDR evasion where, you know, your endpoint to security, uh, there's, there's multiple ways to evade, you know, that notification of potential ransomware attacks or malicious malware, uh, type, type of, um, items, you know, on those endpoints. I think that like, this is another thing where people need to like, really be looking at their bug bounty folders and like taking them seriously like that's that's something that like we we do is we take our, our bug bounty seriously here and everything yes. comes in as it's it's 100 serious until it's proven not you know and that's i think a lot of like there are people there are ethical hacker companies out there that are that are yeah. hitting your site and you need to be aware that they are out there trying to do that and they are looking for vulnerabilities and they'll tell you about the vulnerabilities They'll let you know. I mean, you get, it's going to cost you a thousand bucks, ten thousand bucks sure. here and there, but it sure is a lot cheaper than hitting the news and not having like a day's worth of sales or a month's worth of sales. Like, I think it was just like even like, was it USC's hospital? Something just got hit just like last week with a ransomware. And I just read the news yesterday that they paid them. They straight paid the, the ransom person off. So that means they probably didn't have very good DR disaster recovery backups uh, floating around somewhere. So that's another thing you got to invest in people is back up your shit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, inventory, backup. Having a good um, BCDR, right? The business continuity with the disaster recovery, you know, integrated in there. It's key. It's critical. That way you can just say, you know, whatever it is and then spend your systems back up. Then you have to talk about, okay, identify what, 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 
what does that person have? What type of data? Could it be detrimental? Is it proprietary information? You know, not just the recovery aspect, but identification of what that data value is. Yeah, because then that, that comes back to your little uh, your your post op report, you know, and like mm-hmm. these, this is where your tabletop exercises come in handy, folks. Is getting ready for any sort of thing. Ransomware might not happen to you, but would you feel a lot better if like you had pretended it did? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, practice is key. Always practice. Yeah. Well, let's wrap up today. Thank you so much for coming on my show. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. And and I had a really good time. Cybersecurity is something that like my team works really closely with our cybersecurity team here, like my fraud team. So it's always nice to, to hear from someone to talk about it. Tell us about it. Um, it's great to see you. And thank you um, so much for coming on the show. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. And, and I just want to reiterate, you know, your stance on working with cybersecurity. I also share the same a mentality that working with fraud and abuse, but you know, fraud mm-hmm. in particular in this case is is critical to the successful ex- execution of the business mission. It's um, you know, if I can leave anybody with anything, is create partnerships with the or within the yes. organization. It's huge. Yes, yes. Having don't be a dick. I mean, sometimes I'm guilty of being a dick, but at the end of the day, like your if these teams have a common goal. We're trying to prevent bad actors on the site from from taking bad actions. And our goals align. And the things that I need at the end of the day to fully prevent fraud are going to be necessary to have a relationship with the cybersecurity team to have it prevented up front. And it's just better to be to, to go out to drinks, to have syncs with these people, to, to be on good terms so I can toss them data. And be like, hey guys, we're seeing this, and they say thank you for that. And at the same time, vice versa, where they toss us data and say, hey, we see something weird. Are you guys seeing anything weird on your side? And and you spend time collaborating together. Collaboration is key. Same thing with the customer service team. But from what we're talking about today, the the cybersecurity aspect of this business, we are in this one together, and we need to act together. So, hundred percent. Yeah, same business, same mission. I'm gonna put all the links to you. And all your stuff in the description here, um, I encourage people to reach out to you because you are um, an incredibly successful person at what you do. And then the organizations that you've worked at have given you a ton of insight into this. So I want people to to really go to you um, if they have cybersecurity questions, especially my, my fraud audience that might have, might be trying to dip a toe into that. Um, and then anybody, like any organizations, like uh, any any vendors that have any questions for you that might want to know how to better service um, cybersecurity professionals, they know where to reach out. So I'm going to make sure that you are front and center on this so people know where to find you. Is that cool? Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. And you know, like I said, um, I'm I'm an open book and I've, I've got some availability at the moment as I've taken some time off. And you know, now it's time to get serious and you know, looking for yeah. my next gig. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if anybody like that's, that's an excellent point too, you know, if anybody has an opening, give them a call too, you know, cause I vouch for them. And if I vouch for somebody, that means they're pretty damn good. So. <laughs> Appreciate it. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show and, uh, hi everybody. We'll see you in two weeks. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to visit our incredible friends and sponsor Spec. Get your holiday team ready with full visibility into the customer journey all season long 
using their patented no-code orchestration platform and be ready for whatever comes your way with the ability to collect data, call third-party APIs, build logic and workflows, all with the ability to take action anywhere in the entire customer journey. Visit www.specprotected.com to schedule your demo and learn more. Thank you.